reaches past the stars. There's an answer to every question mark. There's a name. There's a There's a voice that echoes through the pain. There's an ember ready for the flame. There's a name. See, we fix our eyes. We will fix our eyes on the
tonight, if you would all please stand. It's going to be hard for me to get all excited about this song up here by myself. I need y'all to participate. If Jesus has been good to you in your life and done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, I want you to let Jesus hear about it right now. Come on, just shout in this house. Because deliverance has a name. There's a lot of ex-addicts, Christians that when they hear testimony of someone getting set free, I just heard a few moments ago of a young lady a few months ago walking out of drugs. You can't help but to assign the name Jesus with ex-drug addict and say, Jesus, that ex-drug addict, the name of Jesus is what set her free. Alcoholics, Jesus is what set them free. Pastor Gary said it this morning, we say it often, when people get their dance on in worship, people are wondering, why is the loud hallelujah going on? Because there's a hallelujah that comes out of the depths of somebody that's been set free of some stuff that we don't all understand sometimes. But that deliverance has a name, and it's Jesus. Your family's destiny has a name, and it's Jesus. Future and purpose, intentionality, God molding and crafting together purpose in our family's lives, it has a name, and it's Jesus. Can you lift up your hands? Come on, just one more time. Assign that name, Jesus, to your situation right now. Those of you watching online, that you've got a situation you're walking through, assign the name of Jesus to whatever you're walking through. Come on, call that valley Jesus. Call that struggle Jesus right now. Come on, lift it up in this house. Jesus, where would we be? <laughs> Man, if it weren't for the cross, where would we be? The blood of Jesus washed away. Picked us out of the miry clay. All the craziness that we were involved in. And Jesus washed us off. Man, I love Israel. I looked over at my wife while that video was playing. My wife would live in Israel tomorrow. <laughs> And I prayed this over Rebecca and Roger. What, what a privilege to be able to minister where the Great Commission was sent out from. No one needs it more than those people in Israel right now. I can guarantee you that. I appreciate Rebecca and her heart and Roger. But I've known Rebecca for a lot of years and a lot of wonderful times. If you would, first of all, give our worship arts ministry a hand. And I'm so thankful for them. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And if you would remain standing, I... When I see Rebecca, it always reminds me of some of the old times back in the office. 
it reminds me of this time I was sitting in my office, and it was when I was in the corner office back by the, the ladies' Bible study classroom, and I was talking to my wife on the phone, and uh, I saw something come into my office, and I didn't know what it was, and I thought I was seeing things. And then all of a sudden, something latched onto my leg, and I looked down, and it was a squirrel. <laughs> the craziest stuff happens in this church and listen it happens to me it always happens to me and so I kick my leg up as hard as I can and I still have an indent on my knee and my shin right here where I kicked underneath my desk and I heard that squirrel go all inside of my desk and and I'm like what in the world and Stacy's like what is happening I'm like a squirrel's attacking me you know and so I run out in the hallway and everyone brother Pettibone God bless that man came out of his office and looked at me and said, what in the world is wrong with you, young man? I'm like, there's a squirrel in my office. He said, son, you've been smoking something. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> but he looked at me like I was from another planet. And so anyway, we spent like the next hour trying to get this squirrel out of the church. And, and, uh, but anyway, Rebecca, it is so good to have you in those moments. And we chased that squirrel right by her office. And uh, we made sure we protected her. But uh, I, I uh, appreciate their heart and their ministry, what they do in Israel. But... Tonight, I, Pastor Gary has been preaching the ripple effect, and I've been actually carrying this on in our Wednesday night services, talking about the ripple uh, with, with our youth ministry and our young adults, and, and uh, I'm going to carry this on tonight, and I've preached this passage many times uh, over the years, but there's something about this passage, and I believe the people that witnessed what took place when there was a ripple in the roof. Can you imagine when that roof started to come off of that house? And that paralyzed brother was lowered down into the house. Can you imagine the ripple that went out of that home? So I want you to look at this passage with me, and I want you just to go there for a moment. And I want you to imagine if you were a witness, and you saw this miracle take place in a packed full home. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching the word, or God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They came, or they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Listen, tonight, your faith can be seen by God. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. This story shows us God's, uh, and, and I want to just say this about this, this entire passage is, you know, when you read this and you, you think about the onlookers and you think about even those that were being lowered in, is it shows us here that Jesus is more interested in desperation of people than he is the deliberation of people. And I want you to listen to me for just a moment is that many people sit back often and they deliberate about miracles. They deliberate about what's going on in the altars. Why is she dancing like that? Why is she falling over? Why is she crying? Why is he screaming out in his worship? And, and Jesus is more concerned and his attention is on the people that are desperate, not the people that are deliberating. He wants to see people involved in the miracle, not people talking about the miracle. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you ask questions in your hearts? It is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. I believe that stuff can happen in the house of God that people on the outside can say, I have never seen anything like that before. How many are ready for that outpouring on the church? You may be seated in this place and many times when I've preached this passage, I love this title. I've used this title, Four of a Kind, Beats a Full House. This full house of people with, with onlooking and, and scoffing and mocking and curious. And there's all these different mindsets that are looking. And these four men of faith bring their friend and they lower him down into the house. And I often just picture many, many times I read this passage. I just think to myself what it must have looked like when Jesus was teaching in the house. And all of a sudden some parts of the roof begin to fall into the house. And maybe in the center of the room where Jesus was standing, who knows where it was, but you can begin to think of the straw and the parts of the roof and, and the tile coming into the house and people are looking, well, what in the world is taking place? But Jesus stopped what he was doing and took notice of desperation. The house didn't look much different than I believe the houses of God today. The house was completely full to the brim, wall to wall. And I'm sure that as people were even standing outside, they had the attitude of being curious. There were visitors. There were people that heard about Jesus and came to the home and stood outside the home, looked into the window, just like visitors come to the houses of God today. People tune in online wondering what in the world is going on at that church. I heard this took place. Someone talked about a miracle a few weeks ago when uh, Dean's testimony was shared about what God had done in his life. That testimony went around uh, the United States and different parts and people were talking, what's going on in that church? People come to the house of God because they're curious of what's taking place. They're spectators. There's people that are fans of God. They're fans of Jesus. They like Christianity, but they don't love Jesus. There's the pharisaical spirit. There's a religious crowd. And then there's the hungry or the desperate. But maybe the people that were in the house weren't hungry enough. Because they were watching the miracle, they weren't partaking in the miracle. The house of God is full of people that have an idea. They like Jesus, they have an idea of Jesus, but they follow him at a distance. Matthew 26, 58, it says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance after the garden. There's a lot of people today in the faith that are following Jesus at a distance. They believe that Jesus is real. They believe that Jesus has a lot of truth and that Jesus is good teaching, but they still follow at a distance. But I'm here to tell you tonight and those that are watching from around the world, we need a high-death relationship with Jesus, up close and personal. We don't need fuzzy Jesus. We don't need bobblehead Jesus. We need up close and personal Jesus. That four of a kind of faith, Jesus saw their faith. Perhaps maybe even in the paralytic. That his condition that hindered him, that he exercised some kind of faith, but certainly we know the four exercised their faith by bringing the paralytic to Jesus. The people that surrounded this miracle, that looked at this miracle, they saw what took place, and as they saw what took place, you must think, as they begin to write and journal or tell the story days, weeks, and years down the road, that it created a ripple from that home that we know testified for many weeks and years to come of what took place in that house. Can you imagine the stories that came from that home? Can you imagine the unbelievable passion that must have come with explaining watching a man being lowered in a room 
Imagine today that if somehow someone was being lowered in a room, and that doesn't seem quite feasible in our day, but if someone busted in these doors and disrupted service, pushing someone in a wheelchair, carrying someone on a mat, or carrying someone without any mat, running down the altar because of some disease or sickness or even some type of demonic oppression or possession, they bring them into the house of God. And believe me, I've received those phone calls on Friday. A day that I'm running around and doing some personal things and someone called me and said, you've got to get to the church. I'm meeting you there. I'm bringing my paralyzed or my, my, my uh, possessed wife or possessed loved one. And I walk into this room and one day Pastor Bill and I right here in this area of the altar on a Friday, we prayed with this young lady as she was headbutting her husband. and She was punching and screaming and hollering and, and speaking in different voices. And you watched and, and with desperation, this husband brought her to the house of God saying, I don't care about appointments and counseling calendars and schedules and orders of service, there's a desperation in me that I need her to be touched by God. Can you imagine what it must have been like to watch that take place? And then if that were to happen in this service tonight and someone be set free in a radical, radical way, people walking out of this place, maybe running out of this place into the different stores and to the different restaurants, and to the different businesses tomorrow, going back to the police station, going back to the substation, going back to the fire department, going back to the business, going back to the doctor's office, going back to the school or the college, and saying, I'm going to tell you what, what happened at church last night. You ain't ever seen anything like that. Can you imagine the stories that must have come out of this place? I'm going to get to that in just a moment with somebody I believe that carries story and a life-changing event that took place that we see a pattern in Scripture. Desperation gets the attention of God. Sometimes you feel so desperate and you feel like God doesn't hear you. You feel like God doesn't know your address. You feel like God doesn't know your name. You feel like God's forgotten about you. But I want to ensure you tonight that God has not forgotten your situation, your circumstance. And I know I'm speaking to someone right now that you're ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to give up. You're ready to walk away. And God has not forgotten where you are and what you're walking through. He hasn't forgotten your job situation. He hasn't got, forgotten your family situation. He's still concerned about you. He's still concerned about the issues you're dealing with in your body. He still cares about you. He's still intentional with you. But inconvenience is the enemy of perseverance. We're inconvenienced many times. And getting to the house of God, we're inconvenienced and maybe some type of sickness in our life. We're inconvenienced by family matters. We're inconvenienced by different situations in our life. But you can never allow the inconveniences to trump your perseverance in the faith. Someone got smart years ago and started putting convenience stores on every corner in cities. There were, used to be just grocery stores and many times people have to walk or travel a long distance to get to a grocery store. But someone said, hey, let's create these convenience stores, and that's exactly what they are. They're very convenient. But how many of us know that Christianity is not always convenient? It's not just stopping by in a moment. There's valleys. There's dark days. There's struggles. There's frustrating moments. There's periods when you hit those mountains and you wonder how. But I believe that's why for every mountain or every valley, there's a word for us in the Word of God that says that you can speak to that mountain and tell it to be removed. And it just takes a small seed of faith. You have to be willing to overcome in those inconvenient moments for a miracle. Inconvenience makes excuses. I worked all week. I can't get to church. It's raining outside. It's too cold. It's too hot. We can excuse ourselves right away from a miracle. It appeared the four would not give up and allow any inconvenient moment. 
wouldn't allow any obstacle to keep them from getting into the ceiling to get to where Jesus was. Kind of that same heart that Jacob had in Genesis 32, that he wasn't going to leave or let go of Jesus until, or let go of God until he touched him. Your faith in your life activates God. See, fear activates the enemy in our lives, but faith activates God. Seeing their faith, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. If Jesus sees faith, that means our faith is visible to God. It also means our doubt is visible. You ever wonder why certain ministers or evangelists, they call out someone in the crowd. Nathan Morse does this many times, looks out, and I believe that he sees faith in someone's life. He sees visible, tangible desperation in someone, and he calls their attention to the stage and says, God's going to touch you tonight, not because you're special, not because you've done anything. It's just that you're, tonight your faith and your life is bent towards the things of God. Faith is visible. Desperation is visible, but also doubt in our life is often visible, not only to God, but also visible to the enemy in our life. Acts 14, 8 through 10, Paul sees faith. He says, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had begun that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. I have this underlined for a reason in my notes. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. He saw the faith that was visible to him. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. It says he was listening to Paul preach. It's so vitally important that we often, weekly, get underneath the sound teaching of God's word. Get to the house of God and listen to the word of God preached over your life. It's so important, it's so scriptural that we sit and we not just hear the word, but we be doers of the word and activate faith in our life. The obedient see the miracles of God in their life. Verse 9, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So what is he telling us? Is sometimes sin is connected to our sickness. Not always. Not always it's a trial. It can be a test. It can be many different things. But sometimes sin is connected to sickness. It makes sense that God wants to deal with what's eternal before he deals what's temporary. He wants to get the thorn out of your spiritual life before he gets the thorn out of your flesh. Sin out, stronghold out, then the healing and miracle can manifest. Does it matter if I say sins are forgiven or get up or walk, Jesus says. Both are available to you. Don't you believe Jesus can save you? Listen, sometimes we're so focused on the, the, the healing and the manifestation in our physical body when he's so concerned about the spiritual body. He wants to deal with what's inside, and we always want to deal with what's on outside. Because the miracle on the inside will give you eternity. We're all, we're all going to die of something eventually. He, he can and not, he will not heal us of every sickness, of every ailment in our life. We will eventually die of something in our life. He wants to deal with the eternal of your life, more importantly than anything. See, your miracles are your stories. Your scars are your stories. I believe that God's raising up a generation of storytellers. Not fake news storytellers, but real news storytellers. To say, I walked out of this and here's the scars to prove it. This is what Jesus set me free of. God raised me up out of the pig pen. God can raise your son and daughter out of the pig pen. God raised me up out of this place. God can raise you up out of this place. God is raising up miracle storytellers. He does miracles in lives for two reasons. He honors his word. He honors his word, the preaching of his word. We know that he honors and declares healing over our lives. But two, and I believe a very important reason, number two, is because he cares for others and he wants others to see the miracles that happen in our lives that will cause a faith to believe in him. 
Jesus wants us to carry our story. He wants a ripple to come out of our lives into the lives of the paralyzed people spiritually that we come in contact with. Now, I've quickly gotten through this message because I have a long video, and I, haven't, I never play videos this long, but I believe that this video is, is, is very stirring. It's one of the most inspirational videos, I believe, so culturally relevant. But before I get to that, I want to talk about the ripple that took place 2,000 years ago in this story. And I said to you a few moments ago about a witness that I believe of all the disciples that were there in that room, of all the onlookers, all the spectators, all of the curious, all of the religious, that were watching Jesus teach in this home and even to those outside of the home. And these four men of faith were so challenged and so desperate to get their friend, their brother, to Jesus that they were willing to do anything it took to get to Jesus. And so they lower this man down, and I just can imagine that all of the onlookers, all of the disciples, as they begin to whisper and talk, and you can read the different accounts through the gospel, but there's one disciple that I believe that this made a, an incredible impression on, that you can see a pattern in his life, and he was always a quiet disciple until he wrote his gospel, and he talked about himself a little bit, and he patted himself on the back a little bit when he wrote his gospel, but there was something special, and the favor of God was on him in a certain way, I believe for a very specific reason, because of the faithfulness of his life, and that's John the Beloved. See, when Jesus was dying on the cross, roll call was given, and what I call roll call is Jesus is looking from the cross. He only said seven things. Seven very meaningful, important things from the cross. And we just came through Easter, and many of us watched The Passion of the Christ, and you read through and rehearse those four Gospels multiple times, and you watch what took place, and we visualize, and we, we replay out the scenario, and ask God to show us something new, and this incredible story that changed our lives. And, but, but I often love to read John's account, because out of all the disciples, the 12, one we obviously know committed suicide in Judas, but the 11 disciples that remained, John the Beloved was the only one that was present at the cross. See, Jesus said when the rod hits the rock and the, shep the shepherd is then carried off and in custody that the sheep will scatter. And see, the sheep did scatter. John the Beloved was among those that scattered and he left. But I believe that something at some point over those few hours jarred in the spirit of John the Beloved and said, that's my friend. I got to be there for him. I got to be there for his mama. Now listen, that's not in the scripture, but something must have happened in him from the garden to the cross that caused him to change his mind and not hide and shrink in the shadows like all the other disciples and caused him to be present and in visual uh, uh, relationship to Jesus that when he was on the cross, he was able to have those seven things to speak to the beloved John. And of all the seven things he could have said, he, he, could, have, he could have said all these great and wonderful things that we, we thought and, 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 and that we would say from the cross. What would be our last will and testament from the cross? What would be our last will and testament from a hospital bed? All those important things that we imagine. Jesus spoke seven things that have importance and significance in their own way. But one very significant, important thing that I want to point out is that he looked to his mom. And he didn't just say, Mom, take John as your son. What an honor. That Jesus would say, John, take my mother as your own. Now, in my culture that I grew up in, you don't talk about my mama. People talk about people's daddies, and you can talk about a lot of other things, but don't talk about my mama. And see, I believe that it was of that case that day, too, that, that we don't really know where Joseph was at this time. And there's a lot of historians, a lot of debate, and a lot of scholars, a lot of different thoughts and opinions. But there's one 
parent that was for sure present at the cross. Naturally, we know the father was present, but the mother, Mary, was down there and what must have been going through her mind when her son was dying on the cross. And Jesus said to John, I trust you enough that you're the only one left of the 12 that's here at roll call. He must have been scanning from the cross. We talk about all these different angles to see Jesus as the Roman soldier that was crucifying him. And when he speared Jesus in the side and the blood and the water spilled out, I'm not sure which Roman soldier, but one of them took a knee and said, surely this is the Son of God. Those that mocked him, those that scoffed him, those that rolled dice to collect his clothes. There's all these different angles from the cross. The angles from the thieves on the right and the left that, that, that had a debate right there in front of Jesus as they were dying themselves. But can you imagine the angle from Jesus looking out on the crowd? Who is here in my most desperate hour? And John the Beloved, faithful disciple John, was present at the crucifixion. So I believe that he found favor with God and with Jesus that the other disciples didn't find. How do I know that? Because there's a few reasons. He, uh, of the 11 remaining disciples, 10 of them were martyred and died very extreme deaths. The only one disciple that did not die a death of a martyr was John the Beloved. He died of old age on the island of Patmos. And then God allowed him to book in the word of God, and he was the author of the book of Revelation. I believe that he had favor with God. Many attempts in his life of poison and boiling oil and all of these different things, and he survived all these accounts because I believe there was a special favor and blessing on his life because he was blessed and faithful to God. But one other that I want to just touch on that we're gonna, this video is going to allude to, is that of all the things that are marvelous about the Word of God to me, all the things about Jesus that's, that's awesome and cool that you study and read and that you see and just jumps out at you, the one thing to me that's special about John the Beloved is that Jesus allowed salvation to be tied to his name. John 3.16 is the most famous scripture Everybody knows that, even people outside the church, it's, it's, it's on signs at football games and on signs in wrestling matches and, and, and people have it on their Facebook uh, profiles and Instagram profiles and everyone knows John 3.16. And for now 2,000 years since the canon of Scripture have come together and John authored his letter and wrote his epistle, and in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And we all know the word, but salvation is attached to the disciple that was found faithful at the foot of the cross. It's not Peter 3.16. It's not Matthew 3.16. It's not Mark 3.16. These apostles or disciples that were with Jesus... And we know that Mark wasn't necessarily a disciple, but he was an apostle that carried on. Paul, even Paul, author of most of the New Testament, salvation wasn't even hitched to his name. That Jesus looked out and saw faithful John and allowed salvation to be attached to his name for all the generations. And so the ripple started when John penned his epistle. And this ripple carried on for thousands of years to today. When now one of the most famous athletes still today as a minor league professional baseball player, a failed NFL football player, not in my estimation. Oh, I like that. We have some Gator fans in the place. Y'all know where I'm going with this. We're going to clap like this in Jesus' name. Come on. <laughs> 
Forgive me, Jesus. That's the thorn of my flesh. All y'all doing this right here. Listen, don't get cursed. Faithful Jesus is showing up right now. But a certain athlete that is a minor league baseball player is considered to be still the one of the most famous athletes in all of the world. And when he was in college, he did something going out on a limb. And I'm going to let this video tell the story. But there's something special about this John 3.16. But I want you to remember the ripple started, I believe, when John the Beloved was standing in a room in a house. And he watched a miracle take place. And he says, you know, I don't quite understand this, Jesus, but there's something special about this man. See, when he wrote down God so loved the world, the de definition of love was defined by the marvelous things that he had witnessed Jesus do. Love had a definition to him. And so I want you to watch this video, and I want you to see how the ripple of John 3, 16 is carried out to where now our world is witnessing the name of John in 316 and salvation because of a certain athlete touched by the ripple of John the Beloved. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I start to think, you know, I, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So I was like, well, God bless. I don't know. And I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that'll be, that'll be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee. And... Um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida library. <laughs> you have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4.13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? It's <laughs> like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> What are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year, and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel. And football is kind of one of those things where it's you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And as I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And But I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game in six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3, 16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida. And I was like... Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse, and I'm going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because <laughs> he says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how are you feeling? Your arm good, leg good? You ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, you know the verse I wear in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, 
I'm gonna change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> no, it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood. And honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And, Probably some of you have been to Valley Hoos, and I'm just sitting there eating a grouper, and um, Coach Weyer gets a call, and he's like, uh-huh, 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 all right, bye. And I was like, who is that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. So what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo Restaurant, just so humbled at how big the God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime, and I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change, because I wanted to go celebrate with my family, so I'm running to go and do my press conference really quick, because I love talking to the media. <laughs> And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, not, three years from the night you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize during the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Googled John 316, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. And I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking, that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't, because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more, because the God that we serve is a God of miracles, as we're gonna hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm gonna give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with it. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. Come on, can you put your hands together tonight that we serve the God of miracles? You know, years ago, you never would have known that that, that little fiery boy, then Tim Tebow, who was playing basketball in our gymnasium in our hoops league, I called a few technical fouls on him. He wasn't too happy with me. But watching a boy like that play basketball, that loved the Lord and was faithful in Christ, that years down the road would be used of God as a pipeline, as a conduit 
be used of, of God to get John 3.16 to almost 200 million people that's searching it on Google. And that John 3.16 story started back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when his disciples were watching Jesus' love on display. And see, when John wrote, for God so loved the world, love meant so much more to John the Beloved when he saw that love given out in moments when people are being lowered from a ceiling. When John watched Lazarus come from the grave, as John began to watch Jesus' love on display, the word love began to be defined in a whole other way in his life. For God so loved. He loved with such a great measure that could never really be defined by English diction. But John said he so loved this world that he gave his only son. And that ripple that started years ago in every story that they watched love on display with Jesus, that ripple went down through history for 2,000 years to an athlete now wearing it on the biggest stage of his life in two moments, and everybody said he couldn't play, everyone said he would never start, and maybe if the only reason that God allowed him to get to that moment, that if of those 200 million people that Googled John 3.16, that can you imagine the millions and millions of ripples that came out of that from an athlete that was touched by John 3.16 in his life when he was a small child? Faithfulness was assigned to that name, John 3.16 all the way to this day today. There's a ripple in faithfulness. There's a rippleness in purpose. There's a ripple in, in Tim Tebow's life of blessing and favor. I believe that there's a ripple in all of us. See, you have a ripple in you, and I don't know what that ripple is. It may be standing as a nurse in a doctor's office, giving and loving and receiving on people, and they walk into a doctor's office. That ripple in your life is a different ripple. It may not be on a platform at a national championship, but the ripple in your life is a ripple that God's calling out of you to touch people in this city. Your ripple may seem insignificant. You may have even forgotten about the ripple under your eyes, but God's using that ripple years down the road. And even to the effect that you saw that he threw for 316 yards and averaged 30, he wasn't even thinking about John 316, but God was still getting mileage out of that ripple three years later, and Tim Tebow never even knew about it. You have to realize the faithfulness in your life that there's a ripple that I believe that has been said from this stage a few weeks over time after time that God's gonna take a ripple and turn it into a tidal wave. And see, I believe that some of you feel like your ripple's so insignificant, but like Tim Tebow, he thought, I'm just gonna change the scripture underneath my eye black and it turned into a tidal wave, a tsunami that's crashing through Google and the internet. I believe that there's some tsunamis and some ripples and some, some, some tidal waves that's stored up in some people tonight that just feel like it's all built up and that it's insignificant and, and you have no value and you have no worth, but God's calling your worth out of your life and he wants you to create a ripple in your city. Some of you teachers need to go to your school and allow God to create a ripple out of your life into students. Police officers, ripples out of your life into the streets of Jacksonville. I want you all to stand with me tonight, and this is what I want to do. I'm going to call the ripple out of your life tonight. See, every one of us in this place have a ripple that's inside of you. All of us have a ripple. 
Only you and God know really what your ripple is. And ripple might be through your work and your employment. Your ripple might be in your family. But God's going to raise up. God raised up a, a shortstop on a baseball team one day. A bold little 16-year-old that went over to the first baseman on his baseball team and said, Hey, we're having a tent revival at our church. You ought to come with me. And just by that little ripple that came out of that shortstop to be bold, to walk over to the first baseman and invite him to go to a tent revival with him, never in a million years would have known that that ripple that came out of his mouth would have started Billy Graham's journey to salvation in that altar that day. He was the first baseman on that team that answered the invitation to go to that church service on a sawdust floor in a tent revival, gave his heart and life to Jesus that night, and the ripple, we know the rest of the story. You never know what ripples inside of you. You've got to allow God to call that ripple out. And we have to get out of our pews. We have to get out of our positions. We have to get out of our titles and realize that God's calling forth a ripple to touch a generation. Can you say amen? First, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes because I've got to deal first. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice, anybody watching online right now, if you're not right with God or you have something in you that you need to get right before God, you have sin, you have bad choices, you have mistakes, you have guilt riding you tonight, self-condemnation, self-shame right now in your life, and you say, tonight I want to get it right. Tonight I want to come to the altar and I want God to lift this burden because I want to begin in the ripple that God's called me to live out in my life. If that's you tonight and that you say, I have something in my life I want to get right I want you to raise your hand immediately right now come on raise your hand all over this place I want to get my life right there's something in me that's between me and God I've got to get it right listen I'm gonna to count to three and if that's you and you raise your hand I want you to come quickly to this place because the ripple starts from these altars tonight the ripple starts in our repentance the ripple starts in our restoration the ripple starts and God's reconciliation of us to himself. So tonight, if you have sin in your life on the count of three, I want you to come. One, two, three. Quickly, I want you to come quickly and get whatever it is between you and God out of your life so the ripple can begin out of this sanctuary and begin like a tidal wave into our community, into our homes, into our families, into our schools. The ripple, I believe, is so much bigger than we'll ever give it credit for. Than we'll ever assign credit in our life, you just can't imagine what God wants to do and what is destined to do and purpose to do in our life. We just have to yield. Now, before we go any further, I want you to stretch your hands out over those that have come to this altar tonight. And I want you to begin to pray. Church, we're a family. Those that are watching online right now, I'm going to ask you to bow wherever you are. If you need to pull off the side of the road, I want to speak right now into your situation. And I want everybody in this room to repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you to take over my life. Every area that from this day forward, I'll never be the same. I accept you as Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give yourself a hand tonight and give yourself a hand, those that are watching online, as we congratulate these right now. But now this whole message is building to this moment for this room right now. That everyone under the sitting of my voice, God has called you to make a ripple in this generation. He's called you to make a ripple in your family. He's called you to make a ripple outside of these walls. There is 800,000 people in this city that are dying and addicted and going to bust hell wide open. And your ripple is going to be the ripple that causes their repentance. So I want to call your ripple out of your life because there's repentance in this city because of your ripple. Come on, who wants to be a part of revival hitting Jacksonville? Come on, revival is connected to your ripple. 
restoration of Jacksonville, United States of America is connected to your ripple. You've got to allow it to come out. So I want you to close your eyes right now and I want you to lift your hands up. Come on, I want you to begin to pray right now. Ask the Lord to use your life, your story. I can lead you, but I want heaven to hear you tonight. Come on, with desperation. God doesn't want to hear deliberation. He wants to hear desperation. Is there somebody in the house tonight that's desperate to be used of God? God, use me. Use me, God. Allow this ripple to touch a generation. Allow this ripple in this room, God, to turn into a tsunami of love and grace and servanthood that touches a city and a generation. Now with your hands raised, I believe in movement. If you in this place say, Pastor Chris, I want my ripple. Whatever's in me, I want it to come out. I've been doing something for God, but I want to do more for God. I've been doing nothing for God. I want to begin to do something for God. I don't know what stage you're in in life. If you're teaching, we need to teach more. If we're preaching, we need to preach more. If we're serving, we need to serve more. If we're witnessing, we need to witness more. If we're going on mission trips, we need to do more mission trips. Come on, church. It's time for the ripple to turn into a tsunami in our generation. So if you say, Pastor Chris, I want a ripple to come out of my life, I want you to pick up your stuff and I want you to come to the altar right now. Come on, quickly, quickly come as we call the ripple out of our life into revival in our city. where you have to leave the one to go get the 99. And I'm telling you that there are people that are walking out of churches left and right that are hurt, that are broken, that are confused, that want to give up. And chasing after 99 sheep means you running after them and putting them joyfully around your shoulders. It's hard work. It will take some sweat. It'll take some blood. It'll take some tears. It'll take some commitment. It'll take some preach. It'll take some ripple. It'll take something in you coming out in sacrifice to lay on the altar and say, Lord, whatever it takes, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up and over. There's no valley you won't go in. There's no amount of water that you won't walk through. 
you allow and you can put whatever metaphor or assign whatever story you want to it. But I'm telling you right now, you got to be willing as a Christ child, be willing as a missionary. You have to be willing as somebody that will leave whatever you've got to leave to go chase after those lost sheep. There's a lot of mess in our society. There's a lot of junk in our culture. There's a lot of stuff we got to peel over and peel back and walk through to go get some people out of those ways of life and back into the house of God. Let me just ask you tonight, are you glad, are you glad that Jesus sent the shepherd after you? What did he have to go through to get to you? And I'm telling you right now, I lay my life on the line and say, Lord, whatever it takes. I'll take my preach wherever I got to take my preach. Witness wherever I got to take my witness. I'll climb. I'll go down. I'll crawl through. I'll go. I'll peel back. I'll get in whatever and wherever I've got to go to go find a lost sheep for you, Jesus. You just show us the way. Church, are we willing to allow that ripple to come out of these pews and into our city? I want you right now to sing this and declare with your life as Pastor Gary comes that this ripple is going to come out of you and revival is going to come from your ripple in Jesus' name. Come on, declare. Tonight in Jesus' name. There's no shadow 